0: I love having worshipers that just want to keep worshiping. <laughs> this is awesome. Thank you. Keep singing songs to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know about you. I just feel the presence of the Lord like warm honey. Of course, it might be the air conditioning a little bit too. I don't know, (laughs) but I think it's God. Praise you, Lord. Um, I want to remind you that we're going to be taking up a a special offering for our youth leaders on the twenty eighth, which is the last Sunday of our month. So we want to give them a blessing, a quarterly blessing, and thank to thank them and help them. And I want to ask you to also keep um, Francisco in prayer. His job situation is looking tenuous, which means he may not have a job in another month. So they're really seeking the Lord. So please be in prayer about them. Um, It's not something he's caused. It's it's just circumstances are working to where they're squeezing him, could be squeezing him out of his job. So God may have something new, and we're just going to trust the Lord for that. Uh, Before I share, I wanted to just again read something about the... uh, care revolution, which is something we're moving into this September. We're launching a, it's a kind of a new way of doing church in which we get more involved in connecting with one another and uh, so that everyone in our congregation gets to know one another and we really feel loved. People don't feel disconnected. People don't fall through the cracks. And it's a ministry that Samantha and Kelly are going to be leading. And so we'll be doing training for them and, and others down the road. I want to read just a couple just a couple paragraphs. The most efficient way to reach our community is through their family and friends within our churches. Begin by fostering meaningful cohesion among the church. This begins by fostering meaningful cohesion among the church members. This bonding is of vital importance because people have often become elusive and are relative strangers to each other within their congregations. They never seem to connect with their fellow members. At best, they shake hands with those across the aisle, and only when asked to do so. (laughs) So true. We should lead church members into becoming a true family, who exhibit unpretentious relationships, and honestly care for one another. This action will call for a meaningful system of congregational care that has as its purpose to grow the church healthy enough to reach outside the walls of the church. Evangelism starts in the church and then enters the community. The love of God has to flow down the aisles of our church before it will flow down So I'm sharing a little bit each week about this as we lead up to September when we'll be talking about it and taking actual steps. But I want you guys to start to catch the fact that even as a church family, we can be so disconnected and not really know one another. And God is calling us to make some changes so that we actually begin to know one another and care for one another. And when that begins to happen, incredible things begin to take place in the church which then goes out the doors and touches our community. I'm very excited about that. This morning, gosh, it's been good. I want to continue my series on spiritual gifts. And um, we've we've talked about three three different uh, kinds of gifts. If you have the outline that comes with your bulletin this morning, I encourage you to follow it with us and to also fill in the blanks if you have a pencil or pen. But today I want to shift from talking about what we refer to as the DNA gifts, or in other words, the way that God gifted me personally and how he made me and how I'm different from my brothers and sisters in the Lord. How many of you know that Rachel is different than Jesus? Can you tell the difference? (laughs) Aren't you glad? And they're just an amazing compliment to one another. And we talked about those seven areas in which God has made us unique, the way he's wired us, whether we're a teacher-type person or a seer-type person or a server or a technologically kind of uh, resourceful-type person or um, a giver or a shower of compassion and care. We talked about seven different types of that. And if you didn't get one of the assessments, I've got a pile of them up here. And if you couldn't read the one page on your assessment, because the black columns were too black and the writing was too hard to see, we have pages that are easier, more legible. So don't get out of here today without getting one of these if you haven't done it. Today, we're going to shift. And talk about a different kind of gifts, and these three kinds of gifts are mentioned in, in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's see if my clicker. Oh, I got to turn it on. back to the beginning. Dale, can you send me back to the beginning? Here we go. Let's go to the next slide, Dale. (laughs) It's not going the right way. Okay, I want to start out by telling a story. On August 21st of 2015, there was three young men who were friends that had met in Christian school and had gone on a vacation to Europe. At this point, two of them had gone into the military. Um, Spencer Stone had gone into the Air Force. Alex uh, Scarlatos had gone into the Army. And Anthony Sadler was still going to college. And these were best buds. And so Anthony came over from the United States to join his friends Spencer and and Alec. And they decided to catch a train. At that point, they were in Germany. They decided to catch a train to uh, France. They wanted to go to Paris. And so they caught the uh, 517 train from Amsterdam to Paris. And um, let me read what happens. On the train, everything seemed to be going fine until an American-born guy named, um, a Frenchman named Mark Mugallion noticed that one of the toilets, or restrooms on the train, had been occupied for an unusually long time. When he went to investigate, a terrorist burst out of the restroom with an assault rifle. Some of you guys are going, oh yeah, I remember hearing about this. Another passenger grabbed the terrorist by the neck and and uh, Mark managed to wrest the rifle from him, but then was shot in the back with a 9 millimeter pistol. Passengers began to scream and flee out of their seats and rush towards the forward cabins of the train, trying to escape. Eventually the terrorist approached the next car where Spencer and his two friends were sitting. The moment Spencer saw the terrorist, he sprang into action. He decided that his only hope, and the only hope for the remaining passengers, was for him to try to defeat the terrorist. So he made a desperate, all-out sprint towards the terrorist in the hope of subduing him before being shot. By remarkable luck, parentheses, the terrorist's assault rifle jammed just as he was starting to fire and shoot Spencer. And Spencer tackled him, successfully disarmed him, and then his two friends joined him and some other passengers, and they overwhelmed the terrorists finally knocking him out. Spencer then staunched the bleeding of the guy that was shot in the back, when they got to the next station, the police came in and took over, discovered that this terrorist was subdued and that they, had, they started to treat the wounds. The young man that was shot in the back was taken to the hospital, and he survived. So Spencer, Alec, and Anthony were recognized by the French uh, government as heroes for their gallantry and bravery. The terrorist was later discovered to have had over 300 rounds of ammunition, was planning to Kill everybody he could possibly kill on his strength. Isn't that credible? The odds of a misfire, according to the authorities, were over a thousand to one. French officials honored Spencer with a French Legion of Honor award in recognition for his courage. So, how did Spencer know? what did he know about himself that enabled him to to do this? What did he know about himself that enabled him to take that risk? Anybody guess? Yeah, he had a walk with the Lord. What else did he have? He was willing to lay down his He decided that his life belonged to Jesus. Plus, he had military training. He'd just been through boot camp, he was in the Air Force. Where did he get the confidence to charge an armed terrorist? I know this sounds a little bit like the same question. I really believe that he knew who he was and that God had given him the tools he needed How about you? Can you imagine yourself what you would be, what you do in those circumstances? I thought about it myself. Would I be willing to get up and run towards an assault rifle? Trusting my life into God's hands. Wow. This morning, as we talk about spiritual gifts, one of the reasons we're talking about them is that Until we know who we are and how God has made us, we will never have the confidence to step out and begin to use those gifts God has given us. And so this morning we're going to talk about these gifts again. We just spent two, three weeks talking about the way God has wired us, first of all. Now we're going to talk about the gifts that God gives us in the sense that the gifts are people in our lives. They're leaders God has given us. verse, kind of the main verse we're looking at is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4-6, through in which the Apostle Paul says there's diversities of gifts, and the word is charismata, which means the grace gifts, and those are the gifts we've been talking about the last few weeks, how God wired us, sometimes we call them DNA gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, which is what we're talking about today, and that Greek word is diakonia, means people who serve or minister, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, and that Greek word is energema, where we get energy. But it's the same God who works all in all. And in a few weeks, we're going to talk about those gifts, too, which are really the ones that a lot of people are waiting to talk about. When we talk about prophecy, speaking messages in tongues, interpretation, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discerning of spirits, healing miracles, and faith. So that's coming up down the road a little ways. But Today we're going to talk about leadership gifts, the people that God gives us as a gift to help us be equipped and to grow and mature in Jesus Christ in our walk with God. In Ephesians four eleven, we read about this, that it says, He, and speaking of Jesus, He Himself gave some be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature or perfect or, or complete person or being. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, let me just look at this verse for a second ask you a few questions. It's on the screen right there. So God gave some, which means there's, there's a few of each of these. They're scattered among the body of Christ. It's not he didn't say he gave most. He gave some, okay? He gave some to be apostles. So we're going to talk about what's an apostle in just a moment. It's not the wife of an epistle. just what someone once asked, a young man. Um, we're going to talk about prophets, evangelists, pastors. And that word, the pastor, is really the word shepherd. This is the only time in the New Testament the word pastor is used. In every other case, it's translated shepherd, Okay? Same exact thing, same exact word in the original language. And teachers. And what's the purpose for those five kinds of leaders? For the equipping. The equipping of who? Who are the saints? Yes, I'm looking at you. Can you say, I'm a saint? Even if I don't feel like it? Even if I yelled at my husband or my wife? What makes us a saint? little quiz question here. That's right. It's our relationship with the Lord. Our faith in Jesus Christ sets me apart and makes me a saint. It's not because of my behavior that is perfect. It's because I've given my heart to him and I'm following him. So I'm set apart for him and I belong to him. The word holy comes from that same word. in the the vessels of the Old Testament where they served the the people and they made the sacrifices, all those vessels were sanctified or called holy because they were used for special purpose. You and me have been set apart by God for special purpose. Awesome thing. Okay, and and how long are these five ministries going to be active? It says for the work of ministry, equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, other words, all the various things that you guys are called to do, for the building up or the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge, the, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, and actually the word is mature or full, fullness, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Have we reached that point? Are we unified? Are we mature? Are we like Jesus yet? So do we still need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? I'd say so. And it's kind of crazy because for a long time, historically, up until recently, a lot of the churches believed that when the New Testament was completed, we didn't need apostles and prophets anymore. We still needed a evangelists sometimes, but mainly they just figured all we need is pastors and teachers and the rest we don't really need anymore. But does it say that we don't need those anymore? No, it says we do, until we reach complete maturity, until the body of Christ really looks like Jesus and acts like Jesus. APEST. That's an acronym for you. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teacher, okay? So if anybody ever says APES, now you know what they're talking about. That's a little acronym for you to hold on to. So what are these? What is an apostle? And next week I'm going to go into much more detail on two of these categories, apostles and prophets. But I want to just go through these five real fast and uh, give you kind of a basic working knowledge, Okay. An apostle is literally the word means somebody who's been sent as a representative of somebody who's powerful. And they're sent with on a mission. Okay, Apostle comes from a Greek word that means to send. Apostello. In Romans 1.5, the Apostle Paul says, through him, or Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship. For obedience to the faith among all nations. For his name, for Jesus' name. Paul's saying, us apostles have been sent by God to reach the nations. That's the mission. God is the powerful one who sent them. And he sent them with a message and with authority and resources to reach people for Jesus. Okay? We're going to talk about those resources next week. By the way, all five of these are facets of Jesus'. Own ministry. Jesus is an apostle. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is an evangelist. Jesus is a pastor or shepherd. And Jesus is a teacher. So what how is Jesus an apostle? Well, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, we read that Jesus is the high, is the apostle and the high priest of our faith. Oh, what a sweet. I just love it. I miss my grandkids. So Hebrews 3, verse 1 states very clearly that Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our faith. Okay? How is Jesus an apostle? Was Jesus sent from somewhere? Where was Jesus sent from? Heaven! And was he sent by somebody powerful? Who was he sent by? Good. It's not just a Sunday school answer. It's really true. And was he sent on a mission? What was his mission? Save the world. Give his life to save the world. Yep. So Jesus is an apostle. Okay. Let's look at the next one. There it is. Look at that. Oh, trivia question. How many apostles do we read about in the New Testament? I'm not going to ask you to answer that right now. But I want you to write that down. It's, it's, I don't even know if it's in your notes. But see if you can figure out how many apostles are in the New Testament. I know you can cheat if you have a concordance or Google. It's worth a Dairy Queen milkshake. You come up with the right answer, and I'll show you my answer. But you got to do it before next Sunday, because next Sunday I'm going to talk about it more. Okay, secondly, let's look at uh, the prophet. Okay, The word prophet means to speak for someone. Okay, It does not mean to tell the future. How many people here have that a little bit confused? I know a lot of people do. I did too. It does not mean to tell the future, although sometimes prophets do tell the future. We've read the book of Revelation. John talks about the future a lot. But it means to speak for God or, in other words, to share God's heart and God's thoughts. How many of you know that doesn't have to mean the future? God can say to you, hey, the Lord's watching." You know, the Lord might speak through me to you or someone else to you. Say, the Lord just tell, wants you to know. He's been seeing how tired you are. He wants you to know that you can rest in him. And that would be a word from the Lord. It doesn't have to mean, it's not a prediction. And so we've got to get that out of our heads that a prophet is only telling the future. Prophets are telling us what God is thinking and what God is wanting us to know. In Acts 13.1, we read that in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and it lists about five or six of them. So we know that there should be prophets in the church, okay? And then um, Acts 15, we read about a couple of them, one named Judas and one named Silas. Says, themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. So there's, there's two things that prophets do. They exhort and strengthen the brothers, the, the brethren, in other words, the church. In Acts 21:10 uh, Paul's writing or Luke is writing and he said, we stayed many days in a certain place and a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and Agabus ended up prophesying over the Apostle Paul. And he actually did tell the future. He wrapped, he took his belt, he took Paul's belt, and he tied himself up, like like a personal illustration. Tied himself up and said, Paul, this is what's going to happen to you when you get to Jerusalem. They're going to tie you up. And that's exactly what happened. So in that case, the prophet told the future. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it is. Jesus is also a prophet, right? These are all a facet of Jesus' ministry. Jesus said in Mark 6, 4, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. And who was he talking about? He was talking about himself. So Jesus is called a prophet many times in Scripture. I just put one verse down for you guys for today. Okay, let's look at the evangelist. Jesus is also an evangelist, which we'll talk about in a second, but let's look at a couple verses about evangelists. The, ver- the word evangel means literally, the Greek word means good news. Okay? That's where we get the word gospel. Gospel is the German version of the Greek word evangel. So an evangelist is what? Some person who shares good news. And an evangelist in this list of these five is a person that that's their calling, their primary calling, their ministry is to share the good news with people who don't know Jesus. So are they called primarily to minister to the church? No, they're called primarily to be talking to people outside the church who don't know the Lord. But they also have a role in the church because they're told well, we're told that these five groups of people are called to equip us. To, do, to, to be ministers, to be effective ministers. Okay, So we read in Acts 21.8, on the next day, we who, were Paul's, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. And we stayed with him. And it said he had four daughters that prophesied. So that's a different gift. But Philip was known as Philip the Evangelist, because that was his primary calling didn't just like to witness to people. He had a role that God used him in reaching a lot of people to bring them to the Lord. Can you think of an evangelist in our generation? Who's the name you think of first? Billy Graham, right. How many people here have actually listened to Billy Graham or seen him on TV? Okay, that's most of us. That's good. Who else do you know that might be called an evangelist? Oh yeah, Todd White, very much so. Good, 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 good. Anybody else? Any other ideas? Joyce Meyer. I'd say that's not her strongest gift. I'd say teaching, teaching, and prophetic or exhorter, probably. Except, teach. I don't know. She's definitely reaches a lot of people. So that's a good question. So Jesus also. Well, I forgot a verse. Second Timothy four five. Paul says to Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. But he's not necessarily called to be an evangelist. He was actually an apostle. But Jesus as an evangelist in Luke 4, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. And he lists four or five other things there. But his primary calling there in that verse was that he would be a preacher of good news. He would be bringing good news the people that need to hear good news, so Jesus actually is also was, sir, has been an evangelist when he was on earth, and, and he works through us now. And then fourth is the is the role of shepherd. Whoops, it's bounced. Shepherd, and again that's the same word as pastor. The Greek word is the same. It's one word for both terms: shepherd and pastor. In Acts twenty twenty eight. The Apostle Paul says, take heed, he's talking to the elders of, the, of a, the home churches around Ephesus. He says, take heed, therefore take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And then First Peter, Peter says, um, First Peter 5, the elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder. Um, I'll go down a little bit. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So God has set pastor shepherds in the church also to help equip the saints for the work of ministry. So Jesus, is he also a shepherd? I bet he is. 1 Peter five four. Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. So Jesus is our chief shepherd. In Revelation 7, 17, we read, the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to fountains of living water, talking about those who lost their lives during the tribulation, which has not yet happened. Okay, the last role in this group of five, is the teacher, and the teacher, his role is to bring understanding of God's word and God's truth to the saints so that you have good understanding and solid beliefs and solid convictions that you can build on and grow and work from. In Acts 13, verse 1, we read that in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, okay? Lists a bunch of them. Acts 18, we read about a particular guy who's a teacher named Apollos. It says he was born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures. He came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. He greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing that from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, or the Messiah. So is Jesus also a teacher? Well, duh, right? All through the scripture. Jesus in Matthew 23, 8 says, but You, speaking to his disciples, don't call one another rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brothers. And then John 13, 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. So do you see here that Jesus had modeled all these five roles. But where is Jesus now? You don't know? <laughs> He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven, right? Seating on his throne, right? And so who's now extending his ministry? All of us. And these five roles in particular are leadership roles that Jesus has given to you guys to bless you and to equip you. He's given the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But it's kind of funny that we're actually missing an ape. We're missing the apes in our modern day church in America. When's the last time you saw an apostle, a prophet, or an evangelist? They're kind of getting rare. Evangelists are maybe more common because of the TV, CBN, and so on, but apostles and prophets, for many, many years, you never would even hear of anybody being an apostle or a prophet. It's something that God has been restoring to the church in these last times. You guys believe that apostles and prophets are from God? God, I mean, sure there sure there's false apostles, we read about that in the Bible, and there's false prophets. But if you have counterfeit money in your wallet, does that mean you go to the bank, take all your money out, throw it away? No, the counterfeit doesn't take away. It doesn't mean that the authentic is to be worthless. It just means find the counterfeits and get rid of them. So we don't want to allow and tolerate false apostles or false prophets. But we do want to celebrate and be equipped by the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers that God has raised up is raising up in our midst. So we got some questions for you. As we close. Why did God give me, and these are in your sheet there, if you have that sheet handy you're looking at. Why did God give me, or us, these gifted leaders? You need to be able to answer that question. Why did God give apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to our church to me. What does he want what does God want to do in my life that he would invest these kinds of people in my life? You need to think about that and answer it. You can take this home and work on that. I encourage you to do that. Don't get away don't just, don't just slough it off and throw it away when you get home. How can these people impact my life? How do I know if I'm becoming one of these? Do you know there's a good chance that there's somebody in this room that's called to be an apostle, or a prophet, or an evangelist, or a shepherd, or a teacher? And By the way, when we talk about apostles, we're going to talk about the Roman or Latin term for apostle, which is the word missionario. give you a clue to where some of our apostles are? Maybe not every missionary is an apostle, but every apostle is a missionary to some degree. or should be. Okay? How has the missing apostles, prophets, and evangelists affected American churches? If all we have, have been working with for the last couple thousand years is primarily shepherds and teachers, what have we been missing out on? I would say especially when we think about prophets. Because what do prophets do? Not just just people getting up and prophesying. We're going to talk about the difference. But a person has the role, or we call the office of a prophet, has a responsibility to speak the truth to local churches, even if the truth is not exactly what people want to hear. Prophets can identify deception, false motives, Manipulation, and they can, God uses them, their words can cut through all that fluff and all that stuff that people want to sometimes cover up with. So, a lot of times, the word of a prophet is not an easy word to hear, but very, very needed so the church will be holy. So, we'll be talking more about that next week when we talk about prophets and apostles. I believe that there's a person in our congregation. I haven't talked to that person yet. And I'm not going to tell you who it is. But I believe that they're probably called to be an apostle. Just because I've been looking at their life, seeing the kind of person they are, seeing a whole lot of things that just clue after clue tell me that that is probably going to be an apostle. They're an apostle in the making. Because usually a person doesn't become an apostle till a little bit later on in their Christian life. I would... I, Graham Cook says it takes 15 to 20 years for a prophet to be formed. I would maybe guess that an apostle probably takes at least that long to be formed. Because it takes somebody who is very mature to be an apostle. Because you've got to be willing to deal with a lot of persecution, for one You have to be able to walk in signs and wonders and miracles. How many of us are doing that on a regular basis? No. (laughs) Not like I wish couple more questions. Some of us might be becoming one of these. If so, how can we at Calvary help them to fulfill their ministry? If we have people in our midst that, that are formative, becoming an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a shepherd or a teacher, you know, Tyler might be becoming one of those. I'm sure he's going into the Air Force for a couple years, but we don't know what God's already called and told him he's going to be. It may very well be the Holy Spirit's already been whispering to him what he's going to be. I know that um, Trevius has told me that he feels like God's calling him to be a missionary. We, as, the, as their spiritual family, don't we have some responsibility to help them get there? We do. We do through our prayers, through encouragement, through maybe even supporting them when they go to Bible college or wherever God sends them for training. So be thinking about that. Then last of all how can we at Calvary get equipped by these various ministries? And, and you have me who is a shepherd teacher, right? I I my answer to everything is just needs to be taught. It needs the word of God. And that's because that's the way God wired me. But you guys need to have an evangelist up here sometimes. You need to have a prophet up here sometimes. You need to have other ministries that are different than me, to, for you to be healthy, for you to be, um, you to be perfected, in the sense he talked about. And so, one of my desires and goals is to bring to us at Calvary prophetic ministry periodically, apostolic missionary ministry periodically, evangelist ministry, because th- we need them to equip us to be more effective for the Lord and to be be, um, all those things that Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 4. Unified, fruitful, mature, those kinds of things. So pray for me and our board that God would give us wisdom so that we would bring in the right people at the right time. So I'm looking forward to having a prophet come. I know some prophets. and. one of them is Dick Williams, and I might have Dick call Dick Williams about coming sometime. Dick Williams has been probably, I've probably been in about seven or eight services where he has ministered prophetically. He's called the singing prophet. He plays guitar, and he sings. A lot of times his prophecies come out as poems or rhymes. And he has just given so many accurate words that I've seen to people that he did not even know who they were at all. And uh, he's given me a couple that were just like, whoa. And my kids, he's given a couple words to them when we were ministering in Oregon. So I'm going to pray about asking Dick Williams to come. That's his ministry, going from church to church to church, teaching about prophetic gifts and helping people to hear the voice of the Lord. And also he gives prophetic words over them. But you've got to understand, a prophet, his ministry is not giving people prophetic words. That happens sometimes. But a prophet's main role is is to be able to speak to the truth and call the church back to being on course when they start to get off. To call them away from sin, to call them away from self-indulgence and entertainment when they're starting to get off into those things, and to focus again on fully following Jesus. So a prophet's role is more correctional and directional than it is to just give people words, prophetic words. But many prophets give people words on a regular basis. Some don't give them, hardly ever. So. All right. So did you complete your spiritual gifts test? How many people need one of these tests? Didn't get one. Brooke, can you pass them out? Please. So be sure to do this. And let me know what you find out are your two strongest gifts. I'd love to hear because part of my role in equipping you is helping you develop in those areas where you're strongly gifted. Trent Atlanta, did you get one? Okay, Brooke will give you. Okay, good. Sorry, we went over a little bit. It's all Francisco's fault. <laughs> Just kidding. That was wonderful. Thank you, from Maria, for the exhortation. The word you had really, really—that was from. Let's close in prayer. Anybody get a test first? Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word, how powerful it is, that you love us so much that you would bring people into our lives to equip us, to help us, and to develop, and to uh, be able to reach the destiny and the callings you have for us. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us apostles. Apostles, we'll talk about what they really actually do next week, that they would bring the word of God and the knowledge of God to places where there's darkness, where where people don't know you. God, I thank you that you would give us prophets to speak the word of the Lord to us, to call us back when we're starting to get off track, get into the ditch. Lord, I thank you that you would give us evangelists, God, to reach people in whole cities who don't know you that they can also equip us to share our faith. Lord, I thank you for giving us shepherds to care about us and to help us walk this walk and also to give us teachers, Lord, to open the word of God and make it come alive to us. I pray that you would help us to embrace them, to pray for them, to receive them. Lord, we ask specifically that you would bring prophetic ministry, apostolic ministry, evangelistic ministry, and other shepherds and teachers at time to time to our congregation. Lord, I thank you that on um, August 4th we're going to have uh, um, Tanner Sherlock who's going to come representing Chi Alpha Ministry and he actually will bring a different gifting than my gifting as he shares with us and preaches that day. And Lord, we ask that you would just sovereignly bring those people that you desire to come. That we might, Lord, develop and be equipped and become a, a body that is unified, a body that is full of good works Walking in your power, walking in your purposes. We just thank you this morning for your goodness and pray that we'd have an awesome celebration now. And we ask your blessing on our cheesecake. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, please.